Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. I'm very excited to welcome my special guest this week, Morihiko Nakahara, the conductor of the South Carolina Philharmonic. Welcome to the Coger Center Arts Roundup. Thank you for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you've been the conductor of the South Carolina Philharmonic. This is your 12th season you're starting, is that correct? Yeah, 11th season, 12th season? 2008, the fall of 2008. So yeah, 12th season. Um, how did you come to be, you know, this position here in South Carolina? Well, uh, you know, the job search process for for conductors is a little bit unique. So, you know, it's unique in a sense. First of all, that sometimes it's like a two year process. So there's once, a lot of guest conducting, yeah, in sort of uh, in person work interviews, right? So is that I think right? they, you know, they usually so when there's when they know there is going to be an opening uh, for for music director, you know, they will first obviously, you know, the, the the posting will happen, and from the posting to the point when somebody actually starts that job is it's like two years or longer sometimes. So here it was it was almost year and a half or so. So I saw the posting. I was working at the time. Um, I was doing a lot of work. I still continue to work a lot in Spokane, Washington with the orchestra there. I was already doing that. I was doing a lot of work with Jacksonville, uh, Florida, which is a big orchestra, but I was, I was their number two guy. Sort of like, you know, assistant head coach type of thing, right? right. You know, if it's equivalent. And I used to have my own orchestra in, in Michigan and in, in Holland, Michigan. I, I've spent a lot of time in the Midwest, high school, college, uh, undergrad, graduate school, and working. And so I was looking for a next, uh, sort of a next step in my career at that point. And that was sort of, you know, that was the natural step was. Uh, being the music director of orchestra like here, so I, you know, I was I was doing a lot of searches. I was sending out my my resumes to to several things that open, you know, and then the process is they'll narrow the field down to so sort of a manageable number. I think there probably I think there were like two hundred and thirty some applications for this one. So the committee. You know, at that point, they will narrow it down based on like your, ex your the resume, your experience, and so on. They and you also for, submit uh, like a tape. For yeah. So a lot of times they will ask for the conducting video. Sometimes they, you know, nowadays it's easier because it's it's online. So you you know it's like you a, send link them a link to YouTube or a Vimeo site or something. It's easier now. You know, nowadays. But you know, back then I think it was like still DVDs or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, there was, uh, so then they'll check the references and there's like, there was a point in which some of the people from here came to see me conduct in Jacksonville because I had a concert with them. So it was easy driving distance uh, to see how I, you know, how I work with an orchestra and, you know, have dinner or something. And then you find out you're one of the finalists. I think there were seven of us who were finalists, and each of us did a, a week here during that search season, which was 2007 to uh, 7, 8, 0, 7, 0, 8 season. So the orchestra was conducted by seven of us finalists, and that was sort of the audition week, right? And then you wait until after everybody goes through, and I was like, Second of the seven in the my turn was like in October, so you wait till like May 
to find out. So yeah, so it was like a two-year process from the time you you know. But but uh, the 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 important thing here was that I had never. I mean, outside of Jacksonville, I really wasn't familiar with this part of the country as much, uh, southeast. So. I didn't know what to expect when I came here for my interview for my audition week, and you know, not only did I enjoy working with the the musicians of the orchestra, and we we you know we we talk about chemistry a lot in this business. And I felt like the chemistry was great from the beginning, and but I you know I really fell in love with the city, and uh, they took me to Inakaya, you know, and I was like. Why there's such authentic Japanese food in Columbia, South Carolina, and I didn't know. I had no idea before. So I loved I loved the people here, and so I knew that if they offered, if I were offered that position, I was definitely going to take it. So it just you know I was just very happy that uh, when I got that call. So you're from Japan, right? So to, just to catch people up who may yeah. not already know, you're from you're from Japan. You said that you came here when you were in high school. Yeah, ninth grade, I think. So I finished my ninth grade in Japan. Then I came here to finish out the rest of the high school. Where was that? Uh, in the states, you mean? Yes, uh, where? It's like a rural part of Michigan. It's like southwestern part of Michigan called uh, Saint Joseph, which is near, like, not too far from South Bend, Indiana. So it was in the the Irish, like the fighting Irish media market when I first came. You know? How how does a person pick a school like that? How, how do you just decide? You came by yourself, is that right? I came by myself. Uh, Were it you was, an ex- was it an exchange program? Or? No, well, it's sort of. You know, it was uh, like a like a church school. So it, there was there, there were some connections from the school I went to in Japan, and there were some schools like there was one in California, and I didn't know anything, so. The one in Michigan that I went to was a homestay, and I don't know anything about, didn't know much about weather, like in in the U.S. You know, the other option was somewhere like Monterey, California, <laughs> and I chose Michigan because the one in the school in California was a boarding school, and, and I was I was the only child growing up, so I knew it's, and I'm kind of shy, so. If I wanted to learn the language the quickest, homestay would be better because then I have no choice. If I went to a boarding school, I'll either be by myself or I'll just seek out other Japanese students who were at that school. So that was sort of the the decision-making behind it. Only years later to realize, wait, the weather would have been much better in Monterey, California. But, you know. It worked out. When you came uh, for 10th grade, did you know you were going to be staying, or was it was your perception that you were going to come for a year, or you're going to come to finish high school and go home? Or initially it was uh, well, let's see. Initially was going to be maybe just for high school. Um, so you were planning to finish out high school here right from the beginning. Yep, and then and then either go back or not go back. Um, it just sort of you know turned out that I I fell in love with with everything here. And because of what I wanted to do, and I know at that time, soon after I came here, I knew, well, my first, the way I got into conducting really was first I wanted to be like a high school band director because when I was still in Japan, the person who kind of gave me the conducting bug, so to speak, was my junior high band director because I was playing uh, clarinet. Clarinet was my main instrument through my schooling. so. So I wanted to be like him. So after I came to the U.S., I realized, well, what I want to do is stay in, stay here, go to school here, and do a degree in music education. 
So where so, did you end up going to school? Uh, it's a small school in Michigan called Andrews University. And, you, um, and what did you study? Uh, music education and then clarinet. So yeah, so so I so I have you know I wanted to, because I figure in order to conduct more in those schools, especially if you're music ed, then you 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 know you 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 have opportunity to student teach obviously in the area middle school high school, uh, but I was in a very small. Um, good but very small uh, music department so I was given a lot of opportunities to, to, to conduct I was you know I was able to form my own group uh, during the summers and so on so it, that gave me a lot of you know practice time you know being a conductor tricky thing is you can't practice without like other the live musician <laughs> other people so that's you know it usually takes like a lot of lot of pizza bribery <laughs> right you know we'll give you pizza if you play right yes, uh, well, you can practice your clarinet at home right. by yourself but you can't practice your conducting Nothing at home by yourself until, yeah i mean you can i suppose you can practice the moves you know <laughs> but it's not the same unless you i mean you know air conducting to a recording is a completely different uh deal than having a live musicians um, so so that was that was great and then so that set me up for my graduate degree at Cincinnati University of Cincinnati uh, has a big music school and a good conducting program so I got into that and then you know uh, so somehow um, wanting to be a high school band director sort of the the the, the goal kind of still the same you know still still conducting right still working with people but it's kind of evolved into what I'm doing now through the course of those undergraduate training and then graduate school so it seems to me that the music you would be performing is slightly different with a high school band and when you become a symphonic conductor um, so going into this uh, playing clarinet did you always was classical your is that is that the way you got into yeah, to this was, with with clarinet or because when you you know marching band or, or high school bands mm -hmm. don't play what the Philharmonic is playing right well but I was yeah I came up so I was this, I was like a total band nerd right through through school so that's how I got in uh, to so right so it was like but I wasn't totally into marching band as much I just I'm not as coordinated so, I know it sounds so, ironic well so so, so the walking and playing yeah and then then doing you know back then you know if you if you are teaching in these schools I mean you had to you you had to do your own create your own show let you know it's, it's hard enough like doing your own marching but creating the creating the show with all these charts with the, the diagrams of how people are going to march I was like I'm not sure if I I'm cut out to do this <laughs> you know but yeah so but I really what I really enjoy because you know as a clarinetist you, you have a chance to play in both concert bands and, and orchestras and that's where I started to really enjoy um that's how sort of I gravitated more towards I think orchestral side of things was this playing in playing in orchestras and you know if you're playing clarinet sometimes you tend to have some downtime. <laughs> yeah, this happens, you know, because strings maybe have more things that they need to work on. So, you know, you're you're counting your rests with your part in front of you for like two minutes waiting for your your entrance. 
uh, or maybe there's like a little segment of the rehearsal where the conductor is working with the strings to, to, to woodshed something. So as I was interested in conducting, I started going to these you know, rehearsals with a with a score, with a conductor's score from the library, to follow along what was what was happening because I'm always kind of curious about how things uh, are or- organized or put together, I guess, by nature. So that sort of suited my my curiosity in that sense. You know, I just wanted to know how how a piece of music, a symphony by Beethoven, let's say, how Beethoven put it together. And you can't really tell that as well if you're sitting in your chair in the clarinet section just with your part in front of you. But if you see the conductor's score with everybody's part, now you're like, oh, this is, okay, so this is supposed to, okay, so this goes into this, or, oh, I'm here playing with the, you know, with the cellos, so, you know, we need to match. So these things sort of also helped me. That was sort of the, um, um, some of the, you know, backgrounds into, like, how I wanted to be a orchestra conductor, I suppose. So you graduated um, from Cincinnati with a degree in conducting. Yeah. And then how how do you transform that into a career? Yeah, you know, everybody does it differently. I think I was was lucky because I, I first landed out of my master's. I first landed, um, actually, I would... It just so happened there was an opening at my alma mater. So I started, I was teaching. In Michigan? Yeah. So where I did my undergrad at Andrews, I, they, they, um, they sort of created a position for me in a sense. I mean, I was doing a lot of, I was teaching like music theory, music appreciation, but conducting the orchestra. And what I wanted to do was conduct. So at least I knew I was going to be doing that. Um, and you know, that, and that was a key because being a, you know, being a, I was here as a student visa, right? So I either needed to find a, a job like a full time position, or I needed to go on to do my doctorate. So that was that was the choice, and it was at a point where it's like, do I, you know, it's, do we, do we want to pay for another degree, or or you know, trying to find a try to find a job? So you you know, you try to find a job first, and. You know, I just got lucky. And then uh, right after that, uh, so that was in 2000, I started doing that. In 2001, I won this, uh, the music director position with this uh, small orchestra in, in Holland, Michigan, which was just up the, up, up the coast of Lake Michigan. And, that, that, you know, that was a great experience. I, I stayed with that orchestra for about six years. Um, and it was, they were transition. they were, they started out initially as a community orchestra and they were transitioning into more professional group. So people were getting paid to play. They were starting to change how they, they were going from once a week rehearsal to more uh, like concentrated rehearsal cycle that professional orchestras tend to do. And, you know, so that, Job taught me a lot of things about, about, about you know, working with the board, working with the staff. You know, everything is similar, similar structure to any professional orchestra. So that was, you know, it was a great experience because, frankly, those are the things that they never taught in school. So it was sort of a real life experience. Um, you know, usually, if you're a young conductor, a lot of times you start out as like number two or number three person uh, on a uh, conducting staff. Um, so I kind of went the other way where I sort of started as, you know, I was teaching at a university. I started as a number one person 
of a small orchestra, and then I became number two of other orchestras. So it's you know everybody's path is you know different, especially now. But yeah, I just feel you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm fortunate to have had these you know these opportunities and these um, yeah these yeah opportunities to 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 do this. And in the same way that the musicians say of the South Carolina Philharmonic play with multiple Philharmonics. They're right. not just with the South Carolina Philharmonic. They play in Greenville and Brevard Augusta and Augustin or, yeah. and you name it. They're all mm-hmm. over the place. Um, the same is true, I guess, for the modern uh, conductor, if, with very few exceptions. You are with multiple orchestras currently. Is right. that is that normal? I think that is, that is for better or for worse, is sort of a norm now. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, because I, I had this position out in Spokane, Washington. I've had that since 2003, so it's since before my time here. And so, I'm you know, I've been, I've been with them now, well, all this time. Um, and, you know, when you're young, when you're younger, all, the, the travel doesn't bother you <laughs> as much, right? You, you think, how exciting is it? I get to go to all these places. Right. So, so yeah, so, you know, right now I'm, you know, I'm but now I teach at, I have a tenure track position at University of Massachusetts, Amherst. So that's where we live now. My wife and I are based in the uh, western part of Massachusetts in Northampton. And... Yeah, this fall I I still go to I go to Spokane a lot this year, but this sort of a uh, out of the norm uh, for me this year. So every year, you just you know it's it's like kind of trying to figure out the calendar with with everybody so that so that you know everybody's concert schedule can can work out and you know with with my time with each 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 place. And then plus some guest conducting too, if you know if there's if there is a demand for it, I guess. So you're both the uh, music director and the conductor of yep. the South Carolina Philharmonic, um, but those are not always the same position, is that right? So w- w- you would come as a guest conductor, you're the guest conductor. But what does it mean to be music director of a of a symphony of a Philharmonic? Yeah, music director. I mean, it's sort of you know some organizations would use uh, terms like artistic director. Uh, you might see that with non-musical performing arts groups. So essentially what that means is, you know, as a music director, you are, you know, you are, you oversee the entire artistic side of things. So that means uh, programming, uh, programming concerts, deciding what the orchestra, uh, how the, what the orchestra season, concert season would look like, uh, what kind of guest artists, uh, things like, Auditioning new players, hiring new players, all of those things um, that are artistic uh, that have to do with what you see on stage, essentially. And that process for a season starts how early? It obviously starts the season before, but yeah. are you doing uh, two years in advance? No, not well, eighteen months in advance. Here. Here it's you know some orchestra the bigger orchestras like major orchestras like New York Phil or something like that, I mean they plan years out two two three years they know you know and and the major guest artists they know sort of in advance the, their schedule two years out or already because they filled. need they yeah. need to f- have get those people on their calendar right. quick. For us you know we have a unique situation actually here 
uh, our scheduling really starts when the Gamecock football schedule is released for the following year. <laughs> then we know when the concerts will be finally, right? And so that kind of changes from year to year. Uh, I think luckily for us, the last couple of years, they've been releasing them a little bit earlier than they've done in, a, in some other times in the past. And so from that point on, so it's usually, yeah, it's like this time of the year, I typically have sort of um, basic framework of what we will be doing starting like September or October of 2020 into April of 21. So you, you have the basic idea of, of what you want the season to look like, the arc. You have some some pieces in mind, or at least your principal anchor pieces for your right. concerts. Yeah, we look at, you know, what are are there, are there, night, are there big like anniversaries, for instance? Right, you so know? this season, for instance, we're celebrating Beethoven, at least starting in right. January. We're starting uh, Beethoven's 250th birthday in 2020. Uh, so that's, you know, a lot of orchestras are doing that. Uh, but, you know, it could be what I like to also look at, for instance, is to see what uh, there, if you know, if there is like a, a very big exhibit coming to the Columbia Museum of Art, and see if there is some kind of tie-in we can do. So you know those those kinds of things, and then you know you figure out, um, and usually then uh, by this time of the year, uh, our board. The board will tell me what my budget is supposed to look like, so so then I can plan. Uh, you know, you can just kind of you can dream up programs, but you you know you have to price it out and see how that's gonna work out. With and the and when you and you mean partially, uh, the more musicians you have in a concert, the more expensive right. it is. Yep. So uh, different. Works of art take different numbers of musicians, so you might be thinking really big, but suddenly you find um, we've got to find something a little bit smaller right. for one of the concerts. Yeah, so it might, you know, and then that'll be that'll be the that'll be the same also with guest artists because it's sort of the same same piece of the pie in our budget is uh, the orchestra cost plus the guest artist as well. So, so you know, you look at okay, so we need to save, you know, so maybe I I wanted to bring in this guest artist, but we might need to do it, save that person for uh, the following season or something like that, you know, so it's a lot of, kind of a lot of back and forth and, and trying to, trying to create, you know, essentially, I mean, programming is, is, it is a lot of fun because, you know, you're trying to, so each, each concert, programming each concert, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there, there's a lot. It is a lot of fun to just. It's like creating a playlist, right? In some ways, and, and then for that for that particular concert, and then to do a whole season of it of various concerts. So, so that is you know that that is the part I really enjoy. Um, you know, despite the fact that you're crunching or you're having somebody else crunch the numbers, and you're trying to kind of, kind of trying to see, okay, can I cut this here? I mean, you know, it comes down to decisions like that sometimes, and you know, but some, I mean, in this in American orchestras nowadays, you you're not going to get hundred percent of your wish list, you know, and that's that's good. I mean, there there needs to be. I mean, we need to we need to work within some kind of budgetary framework. Uh, to 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 be responsible too. So it's yeah, it's the it's the question of and, and great art needs constraints, right? right. You, if you don't have constraints, uh, the constraints are what foster your creativity. True. Yeah. 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 
and then yeah, and then you know it's it's good. I mean, I have as a as a music director, as opposed to being a guest conductor, you know, also part of being a music director is um, not only you know you're you conducting these concerts, but the base behind it is the the idea behind it is you know you we're always trying to improve. Right, uh, it's never perfect. We're never perfect. I mean, that kind of elusive, elusive area. But you know, we're always trying to improve how we how we make music as an ensemble, be a tighter ensemble, right? So in order to do that, I mean, what we play sometimes has to do a lot to do with that, uh, because it, it's and it's great pieces of art. So the audiences love it, but also at the same time, it it teaches us a lot too on stage. So it's sort of a multi-prone, you know, process. So yeah, all of that goes in. You know, it's it's yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, before you go, the one last thing I wanted to ask, because I think it's interesting, when um, what's your sort of guilty pleasure when it comes to music? Uh, so I feel like um, when you work in the music business, you're always working. Uh, and do you ever get to just sort of relax and put something on and not work? Um, for yeah. for those of us who don't make music full time, we have the luxury of just picking things at random and playing it, uh, you know, and and doing yard work to it or washing the dishes. Yeah. And do you do you get a chance to it, do that? And what do you listen depends. to when you do that? I think it depends on the mood and what you need, right? So you know, a lot of jazz. But my, my wife got me into um, well, some independent like alternative bands, but also into. Uh, Scandinavian metal music sometimes, <laughs> so that's that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, you know, I listen to I listen to a lot of like different things, and I'm nowadays you encounter a lot of new music by um, taking like I know it sounds kind of silly, but like we have a Peloton bike at home, so the playlists that these instructors use sometimes is is a great pathway <laughs> to finding out. New artists and new, new, you know, new bands. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. You've thank been you. listening to the Koger Center Arts Roundup. Our guest is Morihiko Nakahara, the uh, music director and composer of the South Carolina Philharmonic. Uh, this has been the Koger Center Arts Roundup. Thank you for listening. The Koger Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at kogercenterforthearts.com, the official website for Koger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.